So it has been, if you didn't know, if you're not counting on your calendar, it's been 445 days since the very first case of coronavirus was confirmed in the United Kingdom. 445 days. It was the 29th of January 2020. And in those 445 days, we've seen over 4.5 million cases. Sadly, we've seen over 127,000 deaths in some way connected to the virus. But gratefully, we've seen over 50% of the adult population now vaccinated, except for us young ones. Isn't that right, Hannah? Jenny, have you had a vaccination? So you're young as well. So there we are. So us young ones, we still haven't had it. But 2020 is certainly a year to remember or perhaps forget. And 2021 has continued in much the same vein. We're still groaning under the weight of various restrictions, eagerly longing to borrow the the language of Romans 8, waiting eagerly for the days of freedom to arrive. And what we once thought back last year would just last a few weeks, would be a few weeks break to normal life, has actually turned into the longest sort of disruption that this country has seen since World War II. Uh, And it's lasted, or it's going to last, probably 15 months if things go to plan. And we might have been able in the last few days to go out shopping and, and buy some new clothes to make ourselves feel better, or some of us might even have been able to go to the to the barbers or to the hairdressers for a a haircut, Angus, yeah, Uh, you know, but that doesn't necessarily change what we might have come to feel on the inside. Uh, The effects of the last 15 months can certainly weary us and we can still keenly feel them uh, to varying degrees. All of us feel that in some way. Uh, Our lives have been disrupted, but now the race seems to be on, doesn't it, to return to new normality, whatever that looks like. And perhaps some of us are not really ready for that. Or perhaps some of us feel like we need to do some strength training to kind of up our stamina so we might be able to cope with all the days that lie ahead. So with all of that in mind, we've decided just to hit pause on our Corinthian series and we're going to engage and embark on a new series that will last several weeks that will, I hope, and trust and pray, help us to deal with the weariness that we might feel in our souls, but also strengthen us for the days ahead. And we're going to call it One Verse Wonders. One Verse Wonders. And what we're going to do is, rather than our usual approach of preaching through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, we're going to just take one verse every week and mine it for the gold that God has uh, put in those verses so that we might uh, be strengthened in our weariness. Uh, and so today's sermon is the introduction and the rationale for the whole series. And we're going to do that from Psalm 119, verse 28, to try and lay a bit of a foundation and some context for the weeks ahead. So this is one verse. It's a one verse wonder. Here it is Psalm 119, verse 28. God says through the psalmist, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. I will just read that again because that's the most important thing we'll hear this morning. Because it's God's word. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. 
Now, hopefully, you immediately feel that that psalm is applicable to you because the psalmist knows what it's like to simultaneously be a saint, one of the people of God, a sinner who struggles with the sinful desires of his own heart, and a sufferer, that there's external circumstances that are going on around him that are affecting him. The psalmist is just like us. He's a saint, he's a sinner, and he's a sufferer. And he is struggling himself with the effects that flow from living in a fallen and broken world. In verse 28, he tells us what he's feeling. He says, my soul melts for sorrow. So picture Olaf from Frozen, who is melting in the sunshine into a puddle. He's like a, sauna, a snowman in a sauna. He melts the word melts is also translated in Ecclesiastes as uh, to describe a house that is leaking. So this kind of drip, 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 dripping away. It's also translated in Job uh, to describe eyes that constantly pour forth tears. So that's the kind of image that we have here. The psalmist feels like he's like a snowman in a sauna. He's melting away, that his, his life is like a, a, a drippy, leaky house. Or he's like, he's got eyes that constantly pour forth tears. He feels dried up. He feels drained of vitality. He perhaps feels shriveled and lacking in stamina and strength. But his weariness is kind of a physical tiredness. It's a soul weariness. Did you notice that? He says, my soul melts away. That's soul weariness. That, when he says soul, that's the, the inner man. That, not just his physical body, but... The, the real us, if you like, that's inside this flesh and bone. All of our desires, our wants, our, our loves, our feelings, our emotions, that all encapsulates within that word our soul. Our soul feels weary. It's the sum total of who he is. He feels like his soul is leaking out of him. He feels like his, he's on the edge of drowning in a puddle of his own tears. That's kind of how he feels. Now, it's important for us to identify where the symptoms lie because that will affect how we treat them. So it's in his soul, okay? So sometimes part of our weariness that we feel as human beings comes from just being physically tired and we need rest. Sometimes the weariness that we experience as human beings comes from a, a kind of a, a chemical imbalance within us and we need some prescription drugs and medication from the doctor to just kind of get us back on track and help us. But here he describes a soul weariness that, it, that needs more than just rest and relaxation, more than doctor's medication. It needs something that can reach him at a heart level. And he tells us that the sorrow, uh, the soul is, his soul is melting away because of sorrow. Now, we don't really know exactly what that sorrow is, but if you kind of break the rules and go beyond the one verse to, to verse 25, you see his soul is clinging to the dust. So he feels an experience of sort of, you know, in Genesis where God says, you know, from dust you came into dust you return. So if his soul is clinging to the dust, it must feel like he, he feels like he's kind of like spent and um, perhaps near to death. Maybe it's metaphorical, but it could be that he's, suffer he, he's sorrowful because of suffering that's affecting his body or his, his life. In verse 29, he describes, uh, he asks God to put false ways away from him. So it could be a sorrow for sin. Or it could just be that sorrow that he feels, that God sometimes feels distant and far off and aloof. 
We've all been there, haven't we? Sorrow for sin, sorrow for in suffering, or sorrowful because God feels far away. So hopefully we can relate to the psalmist. But perhaps it's more than just COVID-19 things that have affected the weariness of our soul and made us feel burdened. Perhaps it's that you're a parent and you're struggling with your children at the moment or some of your grown-up children and the choices that you make aren't the choices that you would make. Or perhaps you've been reaching out to a family uh, member or a friend who's not a Christian and, and that's made your relationship difficult and they just view, view you with an increasing kind of antagonism. Maybe you're the victim of some unjust action at work. Maybe colleagues are maligning you or bringing false accusations against you. In the marriage relationship that you enjoy with your spouse, that there's a kind of a surface level politeness, but sometimes when you scratch a bit deeper, we, we just don't have the peace and the harmony that we once had. Or maybe it feels that God is far off and you feel guilty because of the gap that has grown. And it feels like a millstone around your neck that is dragging you down. We all feel sorrowful in our souls for a number of different things, but usually we turn to the well-worn paths of retail therapy to make ourselves feel better. Or we go to uh, comfort eating to make ourselves feel better. Or we can go to alcohol to numb the pain. Or we could go to X-rated adult sites or into the gaming world on our PlayStations to escape reality. But the reality is that Nothing we can do, there's nothing that we can do to get ourselves out of the first half of the verse. And we can't be the, the answer to our own problems because usually we are the problem. And so we need someone from the outside or something from the outside to help us. And that's what the psalmist does in the second half of the verse. He calls out to God in both a confession and a prayer, if you like. In the second half of verse 28, he says this, strengthen me. It's an acknowledgement of weakness. It's a confession of his weariness, but it's also a prayer that acknowledges that what he needs is something only the Lord can give him. And reading Psalm 119 verse 28 should encourage us all because it's an encouragement. When the psalmist prays, strengthen me, that is an encouragement to us because it means that you can approach God and I can approach God without feeling strong. We can come to God in all of our weariness, in all of our weakness, with all of our frustrations, with all of our failures, with all of our sins, and we can cry out to him for help. We don't need to come to him in strength to prove how strong we are, to self-kind of give off our, our self-strength and self-sufficiency. We can come to God for strength. We can come to God for grace. We can bring all of our weariness and our weakness to him and we will find that his strength is sufficient for us. Isn't that what Paul discovered in 2 Corinthians 12? He said, you know, he pleaded with the Lord three times, take this thorn and flesh away from me. But the Lord came to him and said, listen, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So there's encouragement here. We don't have to come to God when we are strong enough, when we've got ourselves together, when we've pulled up our socks. We can come in our weakness and our weariness and we can cry out to him like the psalmist in verse 28, strengthen me according to your word. Now the word strengthen there is literally lift me up or raise me up. So if you kind of, if you picture this, that in the midst of the psalmist feeling like his life is dissolving away, that it's dripping away like a leaky house, like he's like a, saw, a snowman in a sauna where he's feeling perhaps nearly dead. 
in his soul, he cries out for a resurrection. Lift me up, raise me up, strengthen me. That's the cry of his heart, strengthen me. And if you're weary this morning, I'd encourage you to pray those words, strengthen me. But then he prays very specifically about how he wants God to strengthen him or the means by which God will strengthen him. Strengthen me according to your word. Now, we all know the power of words, I hope, don't we? When someone, how does it, think about this, how does it feel when someone says to you, I love you? Or, do you know what, well done, I'm just really proud of you. Words have the ability to, to fill us up, to, to, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to, to buoy us. But words also have the ability to tear us down, don't they? And sap us of that life and strength. So, when someone says to you, I, I hate you. Oh, you always get it wrong and you're just such a miserable human being. The power of words is strong and the psalmist knows it. But he prays, strengthen me according to your word. He sees that his answer and his hope for strength is found in God's words. Now, understanding what he means requires us reading both backwards in the Bible and forwards quickly. So, um, if you're tracking with me, which I hope you are, consider this. So, first of all, when you over, we should perhaps rewind our memories and our Bibles back to the very first pages of Genesis. In Genesis 2, verse 27, God says, uh, well, the, the, the writer of Genesis, Moses, says about God, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So right back at the beginning, God, through his word, creates everything, and then he breathes life into the man to give him living faculties. He breathes, him, breathes life into him, and the man and the woman become living creatures. That's Genesis chapter 6. It shows up again much later in the Bible in 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul tells us that all scripture is God-breathed, that it's breathed out by God. And so you get this image in the scriptures, right, that in Genesis, God breathed living breath into the man directly, originally, but now he breathes life into his word, and we have the breath of life of God breathed into us when we open its pages. Every word of this book comes from the infinite wisdom and imagination of God, and it's breathed into these pages in this ink, and in it, when we get our noses in it, we inhale it for ourselves. And what happens when the breath of God goes into the nostrils of man, he becomes a living creature. The psalmist knows that and says, strengthen me according to your word. Every sentence, every paragraph, every book was conceived by the author of life, the Alpha and Omega, the Lord of heaven and earth, just for us. Nothing that we hold in our hands this morning has, has come to us without first passing through the hands and the heart and the mouth of God. And sometimes it seems almost counterintuitive that when we wrestle with a brokenness and a fallenness, whether it's sorrow for sin, whether it's sorrow for suffering, whether it's sorrow because God just seems distant, when we wrestle with the brokenness of living in a fallen world, 
probably the first thing that disappears from us is a, is a desire to read God's words. But the solution is to turn to the Bible. It's to turn to God's word. Strengthen me according to your word. Now that's not because, okay, if you turn to the Bible, your reading skills will help you. This is not that somehow just reading page after page after page will overcome your fallenness and your weariness, that it's the reading that does it. No, in reading you get to breathe in the, the breath of God. And that makes all the difference. And you can't find that in the gaming world or in the adult sites or in alcohol or in chocolate. And if you want God's strength to replace your soul weariness, if you want faith to faithfully run the race ahead, in the days ahead, with the stamina that God provides, we must fill up our lungs with the words of God's life-giving, powerful word. Words of promise, words of hope, words of salvation, words of Christ. You, you see, if you are struggling for sorrow in your soul right now and your house feels leaky or your eyes constantly pour out tears or you just feel a weariness, this is the life support machine that God has given to us. This word connects us directly to the, in, the infinite strength of God above. And it won't be necessarily that our circumstances will be made easier or that our burdens will instantly become lighter, but what we will find is that our souls will be made stronger to be more solid and more steadfast under the pressures and the troubles that we face. Strengthen me according to your word. Now, how does God's word strengthen us? How does God's word strengthen us? Well, unfortunately, in the very first sermon on one verse wonders, I'm going to have to cheat and go outside of the one verse to tell us about how God's word strengthens us. But we won't leave the confines of Psalm 119. And there's three things that Psalm 119 tell us about how God's word strengthens us. That if we breathe in God's word and we inhale his life-giving breath, this is why it will strengthen us. The first one is this, because God's word tells us that, that which is true. You know, there's so much we could read and look at, but we cannot trust everything we read and look at. You can't trust, surprisingly, everything that you read on the internet. You can't trust even everything that you hear on the news or from your teachers or from your professors. You can't trust the facts that our politicians give us. You can't even trust the fact checkers sometimes who check those facts. Statistics can be manipulated. 88% of statistics are made up on the spot. Oh, come on, work with me, people. All right. Photos can be faked or airbrushed. Even our family and our friends and our own eyes and our own hearts can deceive us. But the psalmist tells us in Psalm 4, uh, 119 verse 42, that we can trust God's word, knowing that it is altogether true. That's verse 142. In verse 89, the psalmist tells us that God's word is fixed firmly in the heavens, that it doesn't change. Psalm, uh, verse 96, that there is no limit to its perfections, that it contains nothing corrupt or false. And in verse 160, that all of God's righteous rules, they endure forever. It's true forever. 
His word never gets old. It never wears out. It never runs out of power. And if you want to know about the past, the present, the future, the people, the world or yourself, we need to come to God's word. Just as Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 17, Lord, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So God's word strengthens us by telling us what is true. It also strengthens us by telling us what is right. The psalmist gladly acknowledges God's right to issue commands and he humbly accepts that these commands are right. So in verse 75, in verse 86, and in verse 128, he acknowledges that God's word is right and righteous. God does not just lay down arbitrary rules. He does not just give orders so that we might be restricted and miserable. His word is never impure or unloving or unwise, but instead his demands are and his commands and his words are always noble. They are always just. They are always righteous. They are always right. And God wants us to see not only the truth of his word, but the rightness of his word. And there's a degree in which we obey God's word because it is right and we do it out of duty. But much more, the psalmist would commend us to grow, to love and to delight and to desire what God says is right. And so we are strengthened through God's word because of what is true and because of what is right. And then thirdly and finally, because God's word tells us what is good. The word of God in Psalm 119 verses 1 and 2 tells us the way to happiness. In verse 6, it tells us the way to avoid shame. In verse 9, it tells us the way of safety. In verse 24, it tells us the way of good counsel. In verse 28, it tells us, as we've read, that it will give us strength. In verse 43, we're told that it gives us hope. In verses 98 to 100, we're told it provides us with wisdom. And in verse 105, it tells us that God's word shows us the way in which we are to go. You know, there are lots of things that we want in life, but there are only a few essential things. And God's word is one of those essential things. And if we get our noses in the book, we will breathe his life-giving breath. You know, in the Old Testament, in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, one of the most severe punishments to fall upon God's people, Amos says, is that there was a famine of hearing God's words. Jesus tells us, quoting Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 in Matthew 4, 4, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you want to be strengthened, we've got to get the word into us. The most for bolstering our strength in the Lord is by spending time in his word. And the Holy Spirit is committed to bringing his word and working it deep into our hearts. And God promises to bless the reading and the teaching of his word. And Jesus tells us in John 10, 27, that his sheep hear the master's voice. How do we hear his voice? Well, the primary way is through his word. And most gloriously, we're strengthened by the word because it tells us what is true, what is right and what is good. It, the written word ultimately points us to the living word, to the word that became flesh, Jesus Christ himself. Remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe more than that now, the Easter story and Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And do you remember what he cried out uh, 
was it, I don't know whether it's in the garden, but maybe it was before on the way to the garden. But at some point in the story, as he heads towards the garden, he says, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. Doesn't that sound a lot like the psalmist here in verse 28? My soul is sorrowful, even to death. And so Jesus can identify with us and in our weakness as he was prepared to, preparing to give up his life. But he didn't prepare to, to, just, to give up his life just to strengthen our souls. He, he gave up his life to save our souls. And he can identify with us and in our moments of weakness and in need of, being, uh, in need of help, Hebrews 4 tells us that he is able to help us with mercy and grace in our time of need. So this morning, if you feel like your soul is melting away for sorrow, if you've reached and broken, or you just feel weak and you're, you need stamina for the days ahead, God calls us to cry out to him, strengthen me according to your word. And the promise is that he will raise you up. He will renew you. He will revive you according to his word. Let's pray.